Hello and welcome to the Lithica Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Tyrone, and today's episode is actually going to be a split episode. Woo! <laughs> that was nutty, but you know what I mean? For the first time ever, I'm going to do a split episode, and that means that I'm going to have two um stories in one episode. Yay! Two different topics. And it's not because I'm trying to do something special. It's not because this is going to be a special two-hour um, episode of the Lisper podcast. Nope. It ain't that. It's that my source material does not have enough source material to go for no whole hour or whatever my normal um, podcast episodes be. I don't have enough source material on these two topics to um to go for a long period of time. And I know, yeah, I know, I can ramble. I'm good at that. I know I can do what Stephen A. Smith calls bloviate. I can come on here and I can start bloviating and I can try to stretch it. But no, nah, I don't really want to do that. I'm only doing a podcast on these two topics because these are, once again, social issues. And I guess I guess right now I'm on my uh, I'm on my social soapbox. You know, what I mean, I guess Black Lives Matter is really like affecting me right now or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm on my social soapbox or maybe I'm not, but I feel like these are stories that kind of have to get broad attention to in this day and age, and so I want to bring attention to them. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm in the media. I got to cater to the people. Yous are my peoples, and I got to cater to you. I got to I gotta, I gotta be funny, and I got to be cool, and I got to entertain you, but I also got to like keep it real and tell you the real deal about what's going on in this fucking world. You know what I mean? What's going on? What, what's, what's the problems going on and the social issues and the injustices and all the other shit? I don't think I'm never going to get political on here. I don't think I'm never going to do no fucking politics and I'm not going to do no fucking religion shit on here neither because <clears throat> when people go and talk about your religion and they disrespect your God and shit like that, like that's a whole, that's a whole ball game you don't want to get into. So I'm not going here with that. But the first topic is about black feet boxing. I was just watching ESPN and then it said black feet boxing, not invisible. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? The fuck is black feet boxing? In my head, it said black feet boxing, not invisible. And I said, yo, it sure is. It sure is invisible because I watch boxing and I ain't never heard of no black feet nation boxing club. Never heard of them. And then when they said, when they showed the commercial and it was a bunch of girls and it was indigenous women boxing and I'm like, uh-uh. I don't know none of these female boxers. Then I thought about it. I don't really know female boxers. I don't watch a lot of female boxing. I knew Jackie Frazier. I knew uh, I knew Jackie Frazier personally because I trained with her brother Marvin, so I knew her personally. I knew Jackie Frazier. I knew Layla Ali. I know Clarissa Shields now because Clarissa Shields, you know, she was the Olympic girl, and I watched her box, and she talks a lot of shit. Naive, you know what I mean? <laughs> I said she was naive. I'm tripping. She talks a lot of shit, you know what I'm saying? I like her. She like, she like, you know, she talks a lot of shit. She's very confident in her boxing and she's a cool girl. She was young, 17 years old, inspiring boxer. So and then and she came up and she got Olympic gold boxing medal. So she cool. So I know her. But then I'm like, well, I don't know any indigenous um female boxers. So I was interested in that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to check this thing out. And then when I went to go watch it, I realized it was only like 25 minutes. So I'm like, okay, this is a short little jaw. So it ain't it ain't really about nothing. It's probably just to showcase a couple of female boxes that's, you know, on the, on the reservation. All right, cool. 
I started watching it and I realized that's not the story at all. It started out, the story got interesting when his daughter was like, yeah, he, he was teaching me how to box. And then he said, this is how you can break somebody's arm. This is how you can gouge an eye out. This is how you can fucking choke somebody to death. All this shit. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Ho, 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 fall back, champ. I thought this was a boxing fucking gym. And here it is. He, she talking about breaking arms and gouging eyeballs out. Like, what the fuck is going on here? And then bottom line, in a nutshell, it's like he was saying, like, he ain't just teaching them how to box. He want these women to be able to defend themselves because apparently um, these reservations are fucking dangerous, like dangerous for women. And they said that... um. Since 2018, more than 100 indigenous women in this Montana reservation were missing, murdered, or 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 reached unknown status. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, missing, murdered. What the fuck is unknown status? Isn't unknown status missing? Or unknown status? Like, I thought missing and unknown status was the same thing. Like, you don't know where the fuck she's at. So she her status is unknown. So I guess the missing ones go under unknown status because they don't know if they've been murdered or not. So I guess if you've been missing for a certain amount of time, you go to status unknown because they kind of, I guess, assume that you did. So apparently a lot of women from these reservations are, are, are I mean, in two years, 100 women, that's a lot. That, that are going from this reservation, missing, murdered, raped. And they didn't say rape, but I'm like, if, if a girl was murdered, she probably was raped. You know what I'm saying? It's not, if, if it's a simultaneous thing. Now, if it's a regular thing, like you kill your girlfriend or you killed your wife because she made you chicken nuggets for dinner, I understand that. But if it's just like a, sim- a simultaneous, not, not simultaneous, what is it? It's like a random situation where a girl is just ended up randomly missing or randomly murdered. I would assume that the, that the cause is rape. I mean, I don't think that a man would just take a woman and, and kill her with no motive or no nothing if, if it wasn't a rape behind it. You know what I'm saying? But they didn't say rape, so I'm not going to speculate. I'm just saying, for me, I would think that there would be a rape behind it or whatever. But then they were saying, like, a lot of these women, it was dangerous. And all these girls that were in the spots and Jim were saying that they don't want to, um that they scared to walk, you know, they scared to walk around the reservation. They scared to be out there on their own reservation. And in my head, I'm like, I thought that this was the purpose of the reservation, that these indigenous people can live together and not be, per- you know, not have to face racism, not have to be, like, face, the, you know, police brutality and all kinds of shit. I thought that they was tight-knit, that they were supposed to protect each other and be together, but apparently that, that's, that must not be the case. That must not be the case. So Frank Kip who's the, uh, you know, he's the main trainer in this gym, and I'm skeptical about that, too, because he's, uh, amateur. they said he was an amateur welterweight, so you never went professional, and I know there's a lot of amateurs that they say have, like, 110 amateur fights and all this and all that, and I'm like, yeah, okay, 110 amateur fights, cool, you got a lot of experience, but you can't train me, like, I trained with Marvin Frazier, Marvis Frazier, because that was Joe Frazier's son, and he was a professional boxer, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's got the, uh, I'm laughing and it's not funny. He, he, you know, he's fucked up. He's got the, uh, you know, he's slow now. He's got the boxing brain from, uh, he told me Mike Tyson did it to him, but you know, he still was a professional and he had a name for himself. Like he's Joe Frazier's son, he's smoking Joe Frazier's son, you know, so I, you know, I let him train me, but these kids are training with somebody who never made it out to amateur welterweights. And I don't care if you got a hundred amateur fights, if you ain't good enough to make pro, you probably lost about 70 of them Jones. 
Yeah, you were just out here getting beat the fuck up. Uh huh. You was Rocky. Bow, 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 Rocky, bow, bow. That's what you <laughs> He probably could beat Rocky. He was an amateur Walter Wade. He probably could knock Rocky the fuck out for real. Let's, let's not talk. I, I got to digress from Rocky. But anyway, he started this boxing gym, and like he said, it was for these women to protect themselves. It wasn't really for, um, you know, for boxing accolades. But he did have a daughter that was good enough that she was supposed to go to these junior Olympic trials, and um, and she didn't make it. And they want to say she didn't make it because she tore a ligament in her knee. Okay, she didn't make it because she really did tear a ligament in her knee like she did. She tore a ligament. <laughs> In her knee. And I don't mean to laugh, but the reason why she tore ligament in her knee is because the young John she was boxing stole on her so hard that it twisted her little body up and it tore the ligament in her knee. So either way, she got knocked the fuck out. Like she wasn't she wasn't about to be going no junior Olympic trials anyway because she was not winning no like that fight. She did not win that either way. If her knee if her knee uh if her ligament in her knee did not get torn, she was still on the canvas. She still got stole the fuck up. You know what I mean? So I don't know if if the torn knee ligament ended her aspirations or, you know, because, I mean, she tore her knee ligament. She could have, like, she's grown now. This was like, when they showed her, I think she was like 14 or something. She's a grown up now. So it's like all them other years after you recovered, you couldn't never box again. And she's still boxing. And she said she hopes to be the head trainer one day. So. It's like, I don't think that's what shattered her dreams. I think they want to use that as an excuse because she just wasn't good enough. And then he had this girl, Mamie, and they said she was going to be good, too, and she was going to be his Olympic prospect, and she quit boxing. She quit boxing, and she dropped out of school. And I was like, oh, wow, is she one of those missing? I, I thought that was the next thing. I thought they was going to be like, Mamie quit boxing and dropped out of school, and now she's missing. She's one of them unknown females. And then they were like, Oh, yeah. Um, and, th and then I thought maybe she was murdered. I'm like, oh, shit. Is they going to say Mamie got killed? She quit boxing and dropped out of school and then she got murdered? Like, damn, yo, you should have stayed in the boxing gym. But no. Well, like five seconds later, like, there's Mamie right there shooting hoops on the basketball court. And we're going to go talk. We get, we get to talk to her. I'm like, Mamie, you was a boxing, you know, prospect. And you just drop out of school and, and quit boxing for nothing. And then it came out that she said, you know, I'm drinking. I started drinking, and I'm not really feeling boxing no more or whatever. And then her aunt's like, no, it's because she had to take care of her mom. So something happened with her mom. I don't know what happened with her mom because they asked her, and she's like, yo, I take care of my mom. I don't want to talk about it. And then they was talking about how good she was in the boxing ring and all this and all that, talking about her accolades. And she was like, that makes me kind of like want to do it again, but I'm not going. So, uh. They was like, okay, Mamie's not going to box. Then they said eight months later, eight months after that, Mamie did decide to come back to the boxing gym. So uh, Kip did, actually, Frank Kip, he actually did get Mamie to come back. So maybe we will see her. I mean, I think she was like 14 or 15 then. And I don't know how long ago that was, maybe like a year or two ago. So maybe, you know, Clarissa Shields was 17. Maybe Mamie will be uh, coming from the Blackfeet Nation Boxing Club and we'll be able to see them and they'd and they be on the thing. So then I was still kind of wondering, like, why are they calling this thing Not Invisible, though? Why is that the, the name? Why is that the title? Why is it Black Feet Box is Not Invisible? And then I found out. So 
they were saying that these women, these Native American women, these indigenous women, the hundred were missing or, or murdered or whatever, and nobody knows about them. So they wanted to bring that to the light. So they did um protests, they did marches, they they even went to the Supreme Court. Ashley Lauren went missing. Ashley Lauren was one of the uh females that went missing, and um supposedly she was a good girl. Supposedly, she was a good student. Supposedly, she had all these aspirations and stuff. And then she graduated high school, and she started drinking, started hanging out with the bad crowd. And she went missing, and her mom and her sister and her grandma are, like, still trying to find her. They still send people out to go look for her. They still talk to the police. And apparently, it's not they're not invisible because they are protesting the fact that the police um, in Montana aren't really... I think that they, they're they saying that the police in Montana aren't doing their due diligence. That the police there aren't doing all the things that they're supposed to do to help find these missing girls. They're not doing all the things that they're supposed to do to help change these unknown statuses. They're not doing everything that they're supposed to do to help solve some of these murders. So one of the marches that they did, I found was very interesting. They did a march where they actually screened out the name of the girls. So it's like they're marching down the street and they're, Ashley Lauren. And everybody goes, Ashley Lauren. And they go, Jamie, Jamie, Lisa Daniels, Lisa Daniels. And they had some other Indian names like Ashley Lauren. They was Ashley Lauren Heavy Runner or something like that. So they had their little uh, Native American names too on the end of it. And they were screaming them out. And they said that they want to be heard. They want people to know about these um women that's missing from this um from this, uh, this reservation in Montana. And when I heard that, I said, you know what? I got to do a podcast on it. I got to talk about it too. I don't want them to be invisible either. Hashtag not invisible. So that's what made me want to do this podcast. And I knew that the material wasn't going to be enough for me to make it last. That's why I had to split it. But I had to do it because I'm like, yeah, they're not invisible. Let it be known that these women are missing. Let it be known that these women are, are um being murdered and being and, and being missing and being leveled being labeled unknown status. That's crazy unknown status. I still like trying to figure out the fuck unknown status. That's crazy. But they said that um they showed on there that them women were protesting and women were talking about a lot. And Ashley Lawrence's sister was like in a uh in like a Supreme Court um setting. Like they took it all the way to the courts and they went to the courts and um and told the courts that you know these women on this on this on this reservation aren't safe, that they're being missing and that the police ain't doing nothing for it. But you know what? It's a it's an Indian reservation in Montana, and and that's why I think that they have to bring attention to it because you know that's how we think. We think like yo, they are indigenous people. They live on their reservation and they're going to handle themselves. And I don't even know if it's enough cops over there to like really investigate or if they even really want to. But that's what they're saying. They're not invisible people because they live on a reservation. They're not invisible people because they're indigenous. They have these women being missing. They have these women being murdered, and they want people to know about them. And I dig it. I want people to know about them too. That's right. A hundred indigenous women in Montana since 2018 have been missing, have been murdered. Ashley Lauren is one of them. Okay, I didn't. They didn't really. They 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 shouted out some names of the other ones, but they didn't really focus on them. They kind of like focused on Ashley, and I think they focused on Ashley because her sister was so diligent in 
bringing attention to her. Her sister was so diligent in the fact that she's missing. They're still walking and looking for her sister today in that reservation, looking for anything. I guess they want to take her off of that unknown status. They want to take her off of that unknown status. I guess it's better for them to know that she's murdered or that she's alive somewhere and run away or whatever the case may be um, to find her. And that's what they're looking for. So that's basically the gist of it. That's the gist of the Blackfeet boxing um, story. Like I said, it was only a half an hour. Uh, it was only a half an hour episode. And the only way I can talk for a half an hour on a half an hour episode is if I recap the whole entire episode from beginning to end. And I can't recap the whole entire episode from beginning to end because I don't know the whole entire episode from beginning to end. I only know the vocal points. I only know the main points. I could tell you that the guy was kind of like a, a older gent. And they said he was um, an amateur welterweight. He didn't look. He, he looked. He looked like he could have been a heavyweight to me. He looked a little heavy, but, you know, maybe he was amateur welterweight, you know, back in the day-day or whatever. And, yeah, it was a reservation. And, yeah, I found it weird that um, they didn't really say nothing about the men. There was no talk about the reservation being dangerous for the men. There was no talk about, you know, the men protecting their women. There was not even really that many men in the in the story. It was just basically Frank Kipp. And, and in his gym and his daughters and then a whole bunch of girls that were training stuff. Um, so I don't know. It felt weird to me that there was not an, an, any more indigenous men that could be like, yo, you know, we trying to handle our business. We trying to find out who's doing this shit. I think that that's another problem too, that there's so many women and these women out here fending for herself. Like Mamie said, she had to quit boxing to take care of her mom. And like he said, he had to train his daughters to fight you know, and, and train all these women to uh, be able to defend themselves. So I'm speculating that a lot of these men on this reservation might be a little bit, you know, scumbaggy or something. I didn't see a lot of dads. I didn't see a lot of, I don't know. I don't know. I'm skeptical about that. I didn't even think about that till just now when I was thinking about it. I'm like, where was all the men at? Because I watched the whole thing and I'm thinking, I'm trying to recap, trying to figure out something else to say. And I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't see a lot of men involved in this. I saw a Kip. I saw maybe a couple of other guys standing around the gym. But where's these indigenous men? Y'all women is getting kidnapped, murdered, raped, missing, unknown status and all that. And and he's got this gym protecting them from y'all. Where, who, you know, where's, another, where's the other men at? Because I feel like, you know, there's some men missing in this. Or am I, or maybe I'm mistaken. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, yeah, they're taking it to the Supreme Court. They're trying to draw attention to it. And like I said, I might be on my social soapbox right now because I did a podcast episode about it to um help draw attention to it, too. So that's what I'm doing. So now I guess I'm going to take a little commercial, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to go into my second half for, of the uh, podcast, and that's going to be about Maya Moore. Maya Moore is the MVP. Maya Moore is the champion. Maya Moore is everything, and you know what? It's not even about basketball. That's that's the big thing about it. It's not even about basketball. So I'm going to tell you why Maya Moore is the real MVP when I come back. Okay, so welcome back, and now we're going to get into the second half of my double uh, episode, which is not really a double episode. It's really one episode just split into two different topics. And the second half is called The Champ Is Here 
the champ is here. She's a champion. She's the real MVP. She's whatever you want to call her. And her name is Maya Moore. And before I even go into what Maya Moore has done that has made her the champion, let's just go into what she has done outside of what I'm talking about that made her the champion, okay? So Maya Moore is a female basketball player, y'all ain't know. And she plays for the WNBA. And um, in 2017, she was the greatest winner in the history of women's basketball. That's what they called her, the uh, Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated called her the greatest winner in the history of women's basketball. That means in the history of women dribbling and playing basketball, she is the greatest one. She's the best winner. She is the Michael Jordan of the women's basketball. She's the greatest winner. I don't know if she's the Michael Jordan. What is she? Uh, greatest winner? Is that the GOAT? It's greatest winner and GOAT, same thing. I don't think greatest winner and GOAT is the same thing, but she's the GOAT now. She's the real MVP now. She's the champion now. She did something that Mike didn't do. You know what I'm saying? So she stayed small for an NBA. She was um she's from Missouri. She's 31 years old right now. And um let's just talk about what she got. So she was in UConn. She went to UConn, okay? We all know what um <clears throat> We all know what UConn has um has done as far as women basketball is concerned, right? We all know what UConn has done as far as women basketball is concerned, so we don't have to get into that. And then she played for the um, Minnesota Lynx, and um she still plays for the Minnesota Lynx after she just went on sabbatical. But she um won the WNBA championship. She's a four-time WNBA champion, four championship rings. Okay. She won the NBA, WNBA Finals MVP in 2013. She won the whole league MVP in 2014. She's been in the league since 2011, and she's been an all-star six times. She was three times the MVP of the all-star game. She was five times WNBA All-American. She was two times All-American second team. She was two times All-Defensive second team. She is the steals leader. She is the scoring leader. Um, the WNBA in 2018. She was the um, scoring leader in the WNBA 2014. She was rookie of the year 2011, all rookie team 2011. She won the FIBA World Championship. She was the MVP of the FIBA World Championships in 2011. She was a two-time Euro League Women's Champion. Okay. She was a live Fregamina champion when she joined that team. She was a WCBA champion. She won two NCAA championships with UConn. We know, we know. She was an All-American first team before she even went to the WNBA, okay? She's won three Wade trophies. She's won two Naismith College Player of the Year awards. She's won two Wooden awards. She's won AP College Basketball Player of the Year awards. She's won two Honda Sports awards. She was the three-time Big East Player of the Year, two-time Academic All-American of the Year, All-Sports Academic All-American of the Year, the NCAA Tournament Most Outstanding Player in 2010, and she was the National Freshman of the Year after that. She's won gold medals in the Olympics in 2012, gold medals in the Olympics in 2016, gold medals in the World Championships in 2010, and gold medals in the World Championships in 2014, okay? This girl, woman, is all that. This woman is all that, yo. This woman got the accolades of anybody. You know what I mean? She is a great basketball player. 
I mean, does that not put her at gold status? That puts her at gold status to me. I mean, there's some other girls. I mean, I guess Diana Taurasi and some other girls that are in the league. And then there was like Cheryl, Smoot, Cheryl Swoops and um and Cynthia Cooper and those girls back in the day when the WNBA first started that um made some noise. But I don't know if um if they if anybody is competing with what Maya Moore has done. I mean shoot i spent the first four minutes of this pack of this uh section of the episode just like giving her accolades out took me three minutes almost four minutes to get through so i don't know who has those other accolades but this and, and the funny thing is that this um part of the podcast episode is not even about that that's the crazy part about it this is not even about that i can do a whole podcast episode on Maya Moore. Okay, I can do a whole podcast episode on her and her professional career and what she's doing. And guess what? I'm not even doing that because that's not what this even is about. Her basketball accolades right now have nothing to do with this episode. Matter of fact, yes, they do. Matter of fact, yes, they do. You know why her basketball accolades have something to do with this episode? I'm going to tell you why. The reason why is because Maya Moore had all these accolades, and she ain't even, she's just 31 years old. Now, we all know that sporting basketball, if you stay healthy, you can play to what? You're 40? So Maya Moore technically has um, maybe nine more years that she can play professional basketball at a, at a decent level and, 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 and get more accolades and make more money and get more sponsors and be the champ even more. Okay, she also left basketball two years ago. So she was 29 when she left basketball. At 29, she damn sure had a lot more career ahead of her, probably a lot more championships, a lot more MVPs, a lot more everything. But she found a call to action and she acted on it. We talk about Black Lives Matter. We talk about social injustices. We talk, 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 talk and run our fucking mouths about everything, right? And there's hard times where we find people that come to action. Yeah, Colin Kaepernick took action. Yeah, a lot of people nailed with him, took action. Yeah, they followed suit. A lot of people took action. There's a lot of people that went out here and been activists. Martin Luther King. There's a lot of people that went out here and um and been activists. There's people that have took action. But there's a lot of people that do a lot of talking. And nothing is done. No action is taken. And like, you know the phrase, everybody knows the phrase, talk is fucking cheap. Everybody knows that phrase. Everybody knows talk is cheap, right? So when talk is cheap and you are a professional athlete at the height of your career with all of these accolades and nothing but more accolades to go, not declining, like going up, like this temperature's rising, you know what I mean? She was going up and she decided in the middle of all of that, that she saw an injustice that meant that much to her as a Christian to leave basketball behind and 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 go and fight for this cause. Like who? Like Maya is the champion. The champ is here. The champ is here. The champ is here. The champ is here. You know what I'm saying? The champ is here. Like who does that? Who does that? Who gives up all of that? Gives up a, a basketball career. And she ain't really give it up because she's got the accolades. Like she can go back 
to basketball anytime she wants. She can go back. She can return. She can she can be a superstar again. You know what I'm saying? But she, at the height of her career, she stopped to go fight for a cause. And so here's what she fought for. So um, what happens is she, she's a Christian. And she said that. She said that she's a Christian. And she's um, followed her faith. And she said she's done a lot in basketball. And she's gotten a lot of awards and a lot of honors. But nothing compared to what her Lord has done to her heart and what he's done for the world. And she's happy to be an athlete and have a, and have a platform where um, she can do God's will. And um, so she started advocating for a prosecutor reform in the American justice system. She was um, starting to advocate for um, injustices among um, black people in the criminal justice system. And um, she specifically uh, wanted to get Jonathan Irons released from uh, Missouri, uh, Jefferson City, Missouri Correctional Center. Um, Irons, who was... Uh, what, 16 or 18 years old or whatever, got, well, he started, he got arrested at 16 and he was convicted at 18 and he got a 50 year sentence for, um, burglary and, uh, an assault, burglary and assault. And so, um, Maya Moore took a sabbatical from basketball last season and this season so that she can devote herself to, um, being an advocate and um, helping this uh, this man get out of prison. So what happened was um, he uh, he was arrested um, and convicted and got fifty years sentence for uh, for burglary and the shooting of this guy Stanley uh, Slaughter Slaughter Stotler or whatever. And what happened was they said that Stanley Stotler was um, shot doing a burglary in his home. And they were saying that both, that this white man was armed and that uh, and that Jonathan was armed and that Jonathan shot and assaulted him. And so Jonathan got a 50-year sentence, which they thought was like crazy for him to have to uh, get 50 years. They thought that was crazy. They thought that a 50-year sentence was crazy for him to have in the first place. But that wasn't the issue. The issue was that Jonathan has always, 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 always said he was innocent. Okay? He's always, you know, what is it? He's always expressed his innocence. And he's always said that um, he didn't do it. And so uh, he's 40 now. And guess what? Her actions have spoken her actions and her two years off of basketball and her devotion to helping this man has helped them because on Jan on July 1st, this man was set free on July 1st. This man was set free from this prison after serving 22 years. He was um, in prison from 18 till now. This man is 40 years old and he's getting, and he got out of the Jefferson um, correctional facility because his arm um, conviction was overturned. Okay, a judge, Daniel Green, um, vacated Irons' 1998 conviction and let him out. And uh, the reason why he let him out is because Moore and other people with her fought for him to be let out. It was a year-long effort by uh, Moore and her supporters to win his freedom. It was a campaign that Moore had to, that she felt devoted to enough to stop playing in WNBA. 
So police said it was a burglary and a shooting at Sandy Stotler's home. He was 38. He was a white guy. He lived like 45 miles from St. Louis. And they said that both of them was armed. So they're saying that Stotler was armed and Jonathan Irons was armed. And Stotler had ended up getting shot twice. Now, Irons said that he was never there and he was misidentified. But here's what happened. Um, so apparently, um, Green said that the, the judge that, that actually overturned his curse, um, his case and overturned his conviction said that there was a lot of problems with the way the case was investigated and tried, right? The judge said that there was a fingerprint report that was not turned over to Irons' defense team that said that the police found a fingerprint on inside the door that would have been used to leave the house. So there was a door that like was a door that would have been used after the crime to exit the house based on you know the crime scene. And they said that there was a fingerprint on that door or in the door, yeah, on the inside of that door that did not belong to Irons or Stotler that they never told um Irons defense team about. And that fingerprint would have supported the fact that um, someone else might have had been there to commit the crime. And Green, who was a lawyer, admitted that the print would have given Iron's defense team forensic evidence to support his plea of innocence. So the judge was like, hold a minute, you know, this was bullshit in the first place. You know what I mean? And then um, the lawyers launched a pair of... Um, the attorney general and the lawyers tried to launch a pair of appeal, appeal, appeals to like keep this man in jail after his uh, Green overturned his conviction. And so the lead prosecutor where the crime occurred had to decide whether or not they were going to try to retry the case. So they were going to try to go back and retry this man again with this new material. So they were so they they have failed appeals, and so they were gonna um, go to the Supreme Court and try to retry this case. So the Supreme Court said, you know what? Tim Lamar is the lead prosecutor in St. Charles County, so he's gonna decide whether he wants to try the case or not. So they they left it in his hands. They said, look, if you want to retry the case, that's your county, that's what you do. And, and this man said, Nope, nope, I'm not doing no retrial. Let this man out. I'm not doing no retrial. I'm not retrying him. You know what? The judge overturned his uh, his conviction. Let him out. Let him out. And that was outstanding. And it just goes back to, like, in 1998, there was racism. They wanted to convict this young black man, and so they did. So they did. And Maya Moore, at the height of her career, stopped what she was doing, dropped everything, and wanted to go support this man, and went to go help him. And he wasn't like a family member of hers or nothing. She met him through prison um, ministry. She went in 2007 to a penitentiary visit before her um, before she went to her freshman year at UConn. And she, um, before she did all that stuff, before she did all that stuff, she met this man on a, um, on a prison visit. And um, she did a prison visit. It was like a prison ministry visit, like a church visit thing, and she met him, and she became cool and friends with him, and she didn't even put it out there, you know what I mean? She didn't talk about it, she didn't 
like put it out there. She wasn't trying to get any credit for it. You know what I'm saying? She wasn't out there to say, yo, I'm friends with Jonathan Irons and he's in prison for this and that. She went through her whole, she went to college, did her you you know her UConn thing, went to the Mercury Links, went in WNBA championships, went MVPs. She did all her accolades while still being friends with this man, still talking to him, still figuring out what happened to him. And she didn't even say anything about their friendship until 2015 when she started advocating changes in law um, support men. And that was because, you know, there was police shootings of unarmed black men. We go back to Black Lives Matter. There was Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and that's near where Irons grew up. Then there was um, the killing of the Dallas police officers by a sniper um, during the protest. And she helped um, lead the leads. And one of the first female access, um, athletes for protest in the Black Lives Matter movement. She um, was one of the first female athletes to protest for the Mercury Links in the Black Lives Movement, the Black Lives Matter movement for um, for racial injustice. And now, so she wanted to uh, be a strong voice for prosecutor, prosecutorial changes in the government. So um, she announced that she was going to take time off from basketball so that she can vote more time and energy to help her irons um, get out because they were saying that this might be his final appeal, that this might be his last chance to get out. And she used her fame to raise awareness. She used her fame to help um, fund the hiring of Kent, um, Kent, Gip, Kent Gibson, who was um, a defense attorney that was in um, Kansas City, McGrory. She wanted him to handle the irons case. She wanted him to come back and um and handle Iron's case. He was a big time, uh, highly regarded defense attorney, and so she did. She used her um her popularity and her fame and everything to help to find and raise and, and get this man a good lawyer. Um, the victim of the crime was shot in the right arm and the right temple, and after he was shot, Stotler, he wasn't even able to pick out the assailant from the lineup, so he couldn't pick out the assailant from the lineup. And he pointed to a picture of Irons because the police told him to, like, take his best guess. And Irons, which uh, picture was slightly other than, was, was a little bit bigger than the other photos, you know? So they had Irons' photo, and it was a bigger photo, and the police was like, take your best guess, even though this man was not even physically able to do it. And um, that's it. And then he identified Irons in court, but Irons was just in prison garb or something. And another uh, teenager sat next to his defense lawyer. There was no witnesses. There was no fingerprints. There was no DNA. There was no blood evidence. There was nothing that linked Irons to this case except for this man saying that he did it. And um, Irons said that he had broke into... They said that, that Irons at 16 admitted to breaking into this man's home. And Irons steadfastly denied that he ever did that. So he's saying that he did not ever admit to breaking in this man's home. And the officer that interrogated him did so alone and did not make no video or recording of the conversation. So there was no video, there was no recording of the conversation, and there was no notes. So this police officer basically said that this 16-year-old kid admitted to it, and he didn't have no video, he didn't have no audio, he didn't have no nothing about it. And when they asked for the notes of the interview, he basically said he threw them away. Then, despite Irons being 16, he got tried as an adult. He had a public offender, so his public offender told him not to testify. And then he was convicted by an all-white jury and given a sentence that made him ineligible for parole until he was about 60 years old. 
So that was crazy in itself. All of that, that whole scenario was crazy in 1998 in itself. And this man, he went to prison. He educated himself. Um, he said he would never agree to parole because it was going to acquire, require him to admit guilt. So his man said that even if he was going to go get parole, he was never going to agree to it because parole do. They do. At the parole board, I heard that they do require you to admit that you did it and what you did was wrong and you have to show remorse and all of this other stuff. So he said that he was never going to get parole because he was not ever going to admit um, to doing this. So um, Maya Moore... She spent um, the last year ministering in Atlanta, connecting with her church and family, says she has no plans to return to basketball. She announced that she was extending hiatus for a second year because she was going to continue helping Iron and that she was um, going to continue to fight. And so we don't really know if she's um, going to go back and, uh, and do this. We don't even know if she's going to go back and play basketball right now. And we don't even care. Okay. Maya Moore doesn't care. She wants to fight for her cause. And, and so she wants to do it. So if she doesn't play basketball again, then, you know, she don't have to play basketball again, but she's going to fight for her cause. And her fight has already produced results. They produced the best results they could. This man that was in prison for 22 years and was basically going to do another, basically do another 30. He was basically going to do another 30 years. He wasn't going to get out till he was 70 years old. He was basically going to do about another 30 years. Almost. He 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 was content with it. He was religious enough in being content with it because he was not about to make guilt. Maya Moore for him, and she got that man out. Jeffrey, um, Jonathan Irons is out of prison. Because Maya Moore, and, and and I'm not saying she did it by herself, Maya Moore and other supporters and other people that were out there and other supporters of her and everybody that helped raise funds and this other lawyer, Kent Gibson, and everybody that participated in this um, did this. It's just more out there because Maya Moore was a star. Maya Moore had a lot going on. It ain't like she just, she didn't have nothing going on. Like she, she was a star in the WNBA rising star, like one of the best players ever in the history of women's basketball. And she stopped what she was doing to help this man because she stopped what she was doing to fight for a cause that she believed in. And it was a success. And and it's the same as Black Lives Matter. It's the same as anything. Act, words without action are just words. And so, yeah, Maya Moore could have talked about it. Maya Moore could have did protest. Maya Moore could have said she supported it. Maya Moore could have helped funded it and everything. But she wanted people to realize that she was really all in all devoted to this, and she knew that she couldn't be all in and all devoted to this time-consuming thing and still play basketball and concentrate on her career. So she put her career to the side to help this man. And so just for that, like I said, Maya Moore is the real MVP, and Maya Moore is the champion. And with that being said, I'm going to have to end this episode. You see what I'm saying? I did not have enough material for either one of those topics to do what I normally do, but I wanted to put it out there. I wanted my more story to get out there. I wanted the, the racism uh, and the injustice of Jonathan Irons to get out there. And there's many more cases like this that Maya Moore might help out. Maya Moore might decide to fight for it, or she might go back to playing basketball. But either way, Maya Moore has done her due diligence. She's done what she had to do as far as social injustice is concerned. And um, the Black Feet Boxing, like I said, we need to also bring attention to the fact that these indigenous women are disappearing from these uh these reservations 
So with those two things being said, I am your host, Tyrone. This has been a list of the podcast, and thank you for listening. And like I always say, tell your mom, tell your friends, tell your sister, tell your cousin, tell the baby, tell anybody you can to listen to my podcast. And I know that this is not usual what you usually get from me, and I'm sorry, but to all my fans out there, trust me, this is the last social soapbox. This is the last social soapbox I'm going to be on for a minute. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to get on another topic. And it might seem social because it's about the Redskins. That's my team. And now I think they're about to change the name of this team. And I got to, got to, got to do a podcast about that. But it ain't going to be like this. It ain't going to be like this. It's not going to be that much social conscious on that one. So just think about that. And I'm getting off the soapbox. And I thank you for listening. Goodbye.